So again, I just want to thank um, Christchurch Baptist Church for having me here this morning and for giving us time to talk about the work of Edith's Hope and what it has been happening, really, um, over the last year. And I, I know a lot of you will know this project as Edith's Home, and we'll kind of talk a little bit about that transition. Um, my name is Paul Smith. Um, I have a wife, Sarah, and two girls, Kayla and Edie. Um, I live over in Eastleigh, so not too far away from here. And I was approached about this role in the summer of last year, and I'll kind of go on a little bit more about that. But let's start with some scripture. So we're going to talk today, or I'm going to attempt to talk today, from Acts um, chapter 20, verses 18 to 24. So when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Praise be to God. Now that scripture is kind of, in some respect, an ending. Paul is talking to his followers, the council there, that his time with them is coming to an end that he knows hardships are going to face him and he's, he's going to leave and they're probably never going to see him again. Or actually, he was quite sure that they would never see him again. So he was giving a last commission to them. Um, of how, You've seen my life. You've seen how I've lived. Now go and do the same. Now the people were fearful um, of Paul leaving, of not coming back. And Paul was worried that wolves would come in, that people, it says later on in that chapter, that people might come in with different doctrines and different teachings and take them astray. So he was really trying to commission them to stand firm, to stand tall, to stay on the task that the Lord had given them. But as we talk about begin, um, um, endings there, I want to talk about beginnings. And the beginning of Edith's hope as a charity um, didn't come easy. Um, Edith's home um, ended in, in um, February this year. And it was run by a church in Southampton. Um, and that church decided last year that it could no longer support or hold the charity in the way it had so faithfully done for so long. And we just want to thank that church for all the support that they have given um, Edith's home over the years. Without them, the charity could never have gone where it has gone. So it left the team, the team in the UK that had founded the charity, the, the team of volunteers that had kind of put this together and had faithfully served them and were committed to the charity to decide what to do next. And they thought that actually this isn't the end, that there is a new beginning, that actually there's so much more work we want to do in that community. Um, And they decided to form a new charity. And they approached me in the summer of last year and kind of um, suggested that it's something that um, I've I've got a friend in that charity and they suggested it's something that I might like to take on as as something to move forward in. Um, But before I go on there, I just want to tell you a little bit about me and, and maybe the reason why I took this charity on. I became a Christian at 18 years of age, and it was through the faithful, committed, persistent um, teachings of a friend of mine called Chris. And literally, we were friends in college, we played basketball, and he kind of took a hold of me. It's like he put his talons in me, and he thought, I'm not going to let this kid go. And every time we were together, he would talk about Jesus. 
He would talk about what God has done in his life. He would talk about the faithfulness of God, the love of God. And I would literally throw everything at him. I would say, if God is real, why are there wars in the world? If God is real, why is there poverty and famine? If God is real, why does bad things happen? And he would just faithfully, and over time, he just kept telling me that God loved me. And over time, what those seeds of words did is they started to transform my thinking from there can't be a God to maybe there's a God. So maybe there's something in this. If, if my friend Chris is the way that he is, is it because of God in him? And I started to kind of question and explore those things. And eventually I went to church um, and I became a Christian. But I was quite a, a hyperactive person. You know, I loved the limelight. I loved the attention. And a friend of mine has got a video of me. I went to an Assemblies of God church, a very gospel church. And there's a film of me um, as, a, as an 18, 19-year-old at the front of church doing the Christian hop. I was dancing. I was all out for God. I was dancing like David. And it's something that I kind of embraced fully as I went in. But you see, I had the enthusiasm, but there wasn't as much content to my characters. So when things started to go bad, I kind of walked away. And for quite a while over the years, I'd be really fallen on fire for God. And then not long after, I'd kind of walk away or something bad would happen. And I'd kind of have that really low, that low point. And I was very up and down in my faith. But what brought me to God was Chris's persistence. His, his, his ability to continually, regardless of what I threw at him, just, just kind of tell me over and over again that God loved me. And this is what drew me to this charity. For 15 years, this group of volunteers have built up such an incredible project out there, and they have achieved so much. Um, the primary focus of Edith's Home at the beginning um, was sponsored um, children. Um, so they sponsored children through kind of education and through university. And from what I've been told, there's about 100 kids that have gone through that route, including Doreen and Martin that we heard before. But in that, we've also supported, I think it's just over 2,500 orphan children on this project. Two and a half thousand orphan children over the last 15, 16 years who wouldn't have had the opportunities that they had had it not been for this bundled group of volunteers um, faithfully um, telling their churches, faithfully telling their friends about this project and for them to get involved. They've also built a residential vocational school. So there's a school where 80 orphan children live and they get education in lots of vocational courses like brickwork, tailoring, carpentry, and they've just recently um, started motor mechanics as well. Um, they've built three businesses, um, a guest house, a community shop, and four residential lets. And what, we're really, what they're really trying to explore through that is how can the project become more sustainable? How can we start generating a profit in Uganda that can then go towards the orphan children? So less dependent on Western aid and more dependence on the community within themselves. So that's been an incredible thing. They employ about 20 staff from the local community in lots of different, um, from cooks to guards to teachers to social workers um, to business people. Like, there's lots of people that we, that we employ out in there. And that has all been achieved because of the faithful service, the consistent, persistent service of that group of volunteers, including Chris and Ginny, including people in this church here, and, and because of all the donors that have supported it over the years. But Paul says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. And that's kind of what brings us to now. That they didn't know, this team didn't know last year what would happen to the charity. They knew that the church wanted to end their relationship with it, and they didn't know what would happen next. But they still move forward. They're a stubborn lot. They're not willing to give up easily, which is amazing. And that's why Edith's home evolved into Edith's hope. 
Um, I remember having a committee meeting, um, and we spent about three hours talking about a name change. And in the end, it involved one letter, which, which I know in some respect may cause some confusion, but to us was really profound. Um, that hope, you know, it says in Corinthians, and now three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And for us, it was the faith of these um, volunteers that kept the project going. It was the love that they had for um, these children. But it was the hope that they wanted to instill in these orphan kids. That life didn't have to be the way that it was. See, the vision for Edith's Hope is to have a project that empowers orphan children. Um, empowers them to believe that they don't have to carry on the cycle of, of poverty that they've lived in, that they can build a better future for themselves, and not only for themselves, but for generations to come. This isn't just about the orphan kids that we're supporting. This is about the future that they can build for themselves, which will have impacts for generations to come for their kids and their siblings. Helping orphan children in Uganda become an empowered, ambitious generation, equipped with skills, dignity, and hope for the future. We don't want our vision and mission just to fund projects which fight against poverty. Fighting against poverty in that way can create a dependence on Western aid. We want our vision, we want our mission, we want our meaning to fund projects which instill purpose, promise, and hope. Purpose that every orphan child will know that their future and the potential of their future can change. Promise that we can give them space, resources, and the time to get an education and learn relevant, empowering skills. And hope that they can break out of themselves the cycle of poverty which brings hopelessness and despair. We want to fund projects that empowers a generation to build their own future, one that will transform the trajectory of their lives and families for generations to come. So in February 2020, we launched Edith's Hope. Um, it was launched with all the enthusiasm in the world. And me and Chris and Jenny went to Uganda in February as well and met the team and kind of started that process. And I remember on the plane on the way back, um, there was this hint of this pandemic that was starting. And I don't think we really believed much of it at the time. And even when the stewards and stewardesses were coming down the plane with um, hygiene sprays to spray the plane, we didn't believe it would lead to where it was now. Or I didn't believe it would impact the launch of our project. Now, our project um, in the UK, we have a budget. I have a target this year to raise £150,000. I've kind of narrowed that down. We have about 380 orphan children on the project. Um, and each of those, for each of those orphan children, it costs us about £25 a month to support them on the project, whether that is in our Childhood and Families project or in our vocational school. £25 a month. So my target is to get 380 people, or equivalent to 380 people, supporting our work monthly with £25 a month. And then that will ensure that everything out in Uganda is funded. And that will give us the foundation and the ability to look at how we can grow and expand our work. Our director, John, as well, which we alluded to earlier, um, he retired this year. Now, John has been um, the leader of this organization in Uganda for all the years since it started. He's actually not very well at the moment. He has blood clots in his legs. So we ask you to pray for John and pray for the team out there. Transition in any organization is difficult in the UK, but in Uganda, it's actually quite hard when you've got lots of tribal or you've got lots of internal issues that sometimes the best person won't get the job because they're not old enough or they're not seen in their community as the right candidate. So we've got a challenge there to ensure that the best person gets the job out there to push the charity forward. But our hope, 
we want to see more courses in our vocational school, offering relevant courses for how the country is changing and developing. So things like IT, which involve lots of computers, lots of infrastructure for the internet, to start doing IT courses to get some of these young people seeing what the future of their country can become. Business um, courses, catering courses. We want to employ more social workers um, to engage with more orphan-led families. We want to open up a primary school offering quality education for orphan children and fee paying for other children that can pay. Open a secondary school, carry on the excellent level of education and have a journey from, from the start of education all the way through to the end. And then for those exceptional students to have a grant scheme where we can see if we can fund them to university like we have done um, in the past. And we want to open up more businesses out there to become a more sustainable project, looking at generating up to 50% of the income to run the project within the community. And, it, and it's possible. I know of another organization in Uganda that does this. They raise 90% of their income from projects in Uganda and the 10% they gain from Western aid. Now that, to me, fills the people there with dignity, which is another thing that we want to do. We want to give them dignity for them to believe that they can fight their own way out of this situation. But they need a leg up. They need the support of Edith's Hope to get them there. So there's a lot to do with the challenges we face. In our transition, we have lost donors from Edith's Home to Edith's Hope. We have lost church support. We have lost individual donors who are facing financial struggles due to the COVID-19, and it's hard. But we won't be moved from our task. Like Paul says, do not be moved. We will not be moved from our task. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Edith's home wouldn't have started without God's grace. Edith's home wouldn't have carried on without God's favor and grace upon it. And Edith's hope will not continue without the same God and the same grace. Now you can support the work that we have, um, you can see the work that we have done and how your support has impacted lives of orphan children. Finish my race, which Paul says, Paul did what God had called him to do. Pam and Karen did what God called them to do. The team which decided to carry on the work into a new season did what God called them to do. I took the role to lead the organization and did what God had called me to do. And over the years, people within this church community have done what God has called them to do in many ways and in support of many organizations, including us. And today, you can respond to what God is calling you to do. The end of the scripture says that Paul was given a task to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. God's grace has chosen for you to be born, to have the opportunities that you have, and to not be born in a place of extreme poverty and hopelessness. God has placed you in a culture and community where we have incredible wealth. We're among the 5% wealthiest people in the world. And the, um, the World Bank predicts that by 2030, 30% of people living in extreme poverty, so that's living on less than $1.50 a day, will live in sub-Saharan Africa, where Uganda is. Extreme poverty is not going away for that part of the world. But regardless of what you're going through, Regardless of what is going on in the world we live in today, and COVID has definitely shook the foundations um, of our economy and livelihoods. But the challenge I want to set and the plea I want to make is do not be moved away from what God is calling you to do. If there is anything we can learn from Paul in the scripture is that he didn't allow the circumstances, fear, and threat of imprisonment to deter him from the purposes of God. And all through scripture, we hear the call of God to look after the poor, look after the orphaned, and look after the 
widowed. I'll say again, we do not want our vision and mission just to fund projects which fight against poverty. Fighting against poverty in that way can create a dependency on Western aid. We want our vision, our mission, our meaning to be to fund projects which instill purpose, promise and hope. Purpose that every orphan child will know that the future and the potential of the future can change. Promise that we give them space, resources and the time to get an education and then the skills and the hope that they can break out of themselves of the cycle of poverty which brings hopelessness and despair. We want to fund projects that empowers a generation to build their own future, one that will transform the trajectory of their lives and their families for generations to come. And my only question is, will you stand with us and support us? So we're just about to go into a song by Tim Hughes called God of Justice. And through that song, I just want you to consider whether this is, whether this is a project you want to support and also the food bank as well. You know, there is poverty all around us. There is need all around us at the moment. And I just want you to consider through this song what your response will be. Thank you for your time. Thank you. <laughs>